0: This episode of Ready or Not is sponsored by our Pilates, an online Pilates platform created to help you feel good about moving your body. Designed by physiotherapist and new mum Han McKim, the pre- and postnatal classes focus on all areas that mums and mums-to-be need most. Han filmed these classes throughout her own pregnancy so that she can help strengthen, lengthen and support you through yours. As a special offer to listeners of Ready or Not, our Pilates founders, Brooke Hogan and Han McKim are offering 14 days free of charge to help you kickstart your Pilates routine. Simply use the coupon Ready or Not when you sign up to redeem this offer. Sterna Glick is a midwife, lactation consultant and mother of five. Through her Instagram page, Melbourne Lactation, Sterna has gained a following for her knowledge and experience as both a mother and a professional and for her practical, informative posts on all things breastfeeding. Her approach in supporting breastfeeding parents is sustainable and supportive. And what I love most about this conversation is that Sterner's advice is mother-centred. Because as we know, or at least as we've been told, but maybe forget, is that when the mother is happy, the baby is happy too. Breastfeeding, bottle feeding, pumping, weaning, returning to work and all that comes with it, it's pretty stressful for parents. So here, Sterner answers all your burning questions in the hope to make you feel a little bit more relaxed in your feeding and return to work journey I'm Lucinda this is ready or not and here is our Q&A style episode with Sterner Glip Sterna, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, This topic is a hot one. I don't think I've ever had so many questions submitted. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you're going to say today. Can you please start by introducing yourself and your family? Sure. Um, I am Sterna.
1: I'm a midwife and lactation consultant. Um, I've got five kids, but the last babies are twins. So four births, five children. Um, I started studying to be a midwife 14 years ago. So when my first daughter was not yet one, um, it was really, I have to say, I did it on a whim. It was like, I'll just start this one semester, see how I go. If I like it, I'll continue. Um, if not, it's not the end of the world. I wasn't in no way was I like committing to the whole seven year process. Actually, Mm. I did it in five years. Um, it was really just a, let's just see for the hell of it. Why not? I'll start obviously I was addicted and here we are. Mm. So I ended up doing the three-year course part-time, had the second baby in that time and then I finished it in five years instead of three Um, and then did my first year out of uni at the Royal Women's and um, then had my third baby at the end of that first year of work and then yeah. took a the year of mat leave. In that time, I qualified to be an LC. So what led me there was really just Doing a lot of work on the postnatal ward as a midwife, I was like, "This is ridiculous." There's no time to actually help women learn how to breastfeed. Mm. I was constantly, you know, missing breaks or spending way too much time in one-on-one in a room when I had five other patients, and it was just like mm. I realized I was very drawn to the feeding side of things, and it was just not doable as in a public hospital. You just can't, uh, as in, put in as much effort as you want and time. Mm. Yeah, so. Actually, it was my older sister who was like, "Why don't you just qualify and be an LC instead of just?" Um, oh, plus I was getting a lot of questions outside of work, like just from friends and mm. friends' parents and sisters and this. Or, you and realize what a big were, topic you know, it like was. Helping, yeah, helping feeding their babies, and I and I was helping them, you know, from being a midwife and that experience and perspective. But then my sister was like, "Why don't you just study, be an LC, and formalize it and do that as work on the side?" I'm like, "Nah, no, I love being a midwife. It's my passion." Anyways, long story short, when I was on that leap with the third, I qualified and it's been the best thing ever because now I do both.
0: Amazing. What does that entail qualifying to be an LC? Um. So for a midwife, it's a little
1: bit easier. The coursework is the same for anybody, mm-hmm. but the breast contact, the practical breast hours are much easier to obtain, obviously, for a midwife working in the special mm-hmm. pen nursery in the postnatal ward. Like if you were just you know, the average person with a background in cricket Australia, for example, and you need to get a 1,000 or 300 breast contact hours, like where in God's...
0: Definitely not at the
1: workplace. <laughs> exactly. So where, where if and especially if you're working full-time, like where are you physically supposed mm. to get the experience hours that you need to log um, up to qualify in addition to the coursework? Mm. So as a midwife or nurse who works in eternity, it's much easier. You can count a certain percentage of your hours over the last five years, and I had to do you know, some placements here and there and did some shadowing at the hospital and, um, did the course, did the exam and
0: that's enough. And what was it like studying as a mother? So you're working, you're studying and you're a mother of two and then three. I actually did the bulk of my
1: studying. It's going to sound crazy, but in the few weeks of my mat leave, So I finished work at 36 weeks and thought, Oh, oh I won't wow. have it till 40, 41 weeks. Mm. So I'm, I sat every single day for that three weeks. No one was allowed to talk to me and I slammed through the course. My two big kids were already in school, mm. but there was a five-year break. Um, I literally slammed out probably seven or eight out of the ten modules. It's supposed to take a year to do it. I just mm. powered and then oh, yeah. did a lot of that. And then, as you can imagine, once the baby was born, I didn't look at it for at least six months. Like I just couldn't. I couldn't look at the books. Mm. And then as the baby got older and I was sleeping a bit more, I got back into the study, finished it off. Yeah, it wasn't terrible. Um, in fact, I actually kind of liked studying. Mm. So it was fine. And then the exam was tricky because I obviously had a breastfeeding baby at home and it was so long after I had done the coursework. I was too scared to do the exam right after. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not ready. I need more time, mm. which was really silly because then I pushed it off six
0: months. But it was actually fine. Um, yeah, I've, I loved it and so then you added twins into your repertoire to become a mother of five (laughs) what has it been like being a working mother of five children i mean i love it
1: i really really love it but i think the secret to i think people look at me and think oh my god she works full-time has five children runs a house how the heck does she do it Mm. i literally don't work time and that's the answer i work so part-time Mm. that it seems like when you hear that I do shift work and do private visits, it seems like I do so much, but I really pick and choose my days and hours. Like the days, for example, the twins were home today, didn't have childcare, I didn't work. So I pick and choose my hours. I'm bank like casual staff at the hospital. So I let's say I look at their deficits and find a shift that I want over the weekend. I'll take it. If there's kids are on holidays, I won't work. So I've sort of set up my work right now in a way that is very manageable because it's part-time some weeks I work like too much a lot and I feel very overwhelmed other weeks are a bit sluggish and slow and I'm bored. So it just sort of, it really depends how many shifts I do and how many women I see because working as a mum is so, I I love it. I can't mm. imagine not doing it. I would be a bit lost, but at the same time, the guilt, the pressure, all of that can be very exciting. So I think for me personally, the balance it definitely lies in doing part-time so you have a bit of everything and yeah that's pretty much the secret but I do obviously know that it's a bit of a privilege to be able to work part-time like not Mm -hmm. every as a midwife you can do that because shift workers can do that they can do two shifts a week three shifts a week but you know working an office job or maybe Mm -hmm. you work the the opportunity to work part-time is not available to everyone. So that's Mm -hmm. that's one reason answering the question that people ask me about uh, shift work. That's why I love shift work because you Mm. can pick nights, you can pick afternoons, you can pick mornings. You can literally slot in your shifts to fit in with what you need in your life. Like uh, personally, I love to do a Saturday night um, weekend shift, night shift. It's weekend rate. I stay up all night, go to work, love it. I love my midwife work buddies that work on Saturday nights, together. And then I come home, go to sleep for four hours on Sunday morning. My husband's home, not working. And then we get up and have a normal day. If you have a nine to five week job, you can't do that.
0: Yes. And maybe there's a little bit less admin around that at times, because you're not having to organize care necessarily. If you are working on a Saturday night, your husband's there.
1: Exactly. So there's just, there are ways to make it work so Mm. compatibly with the family. Mm. I just think when you do too much of it, like full time, it becomes very
0: unbearable. Mm -hmm. but it's like any job. So on the lactation consulting side of things, how does that work in a week? And also what are the most common challenges women are coming to you with for breastfeeding? The first part of it, I just, I just wait for
1: inquiries to come to my Mm -hmm. phone or email. And when they do, I respond. And you know, some weeks I might see six or seven women, which is a Mm -hmm. very full code for me. Mm -hmm. And some weeks I might only see one or two. So it just depends how slammed I am. The most common things I see, it's funny that you ask, because before I started, I thought I knew for a fact the most common things I'd see was damaged nipples and low supply. Um, I was just, I didn't even give it a thought. I thought that's what I'm going to be seeing. That's why people would call it LC, because they got sore nipples or because they have low supply. Mm. Um, that is the least of what I see. Low supply oh, is yeah. probably the least common thing I see. Mm. I just don't see it much. Mm. Um, and I was thinking about that recently. I don't know why it is. Maybe it's because... People with you know, chronically or truly low supply stop feeding mm. so that I'm not seeing them. Or, I mean, there are women with low supply that do call for ways to how to boost and bulk supply, but I feel like you get support for that from the get-go because the baby's not gaining mm. weight or this or that. You're not likely to slip through the cracks, cracks with a low supply mm. um, from the maternal child health nurse, from your GP, from whoever's looking after you and the baby will be aware. So that I hardly see that. Cracked nipples, I I, I see in a bit, not so much. Again, because by the time people call me, that's resolved. Mm. Um, they'll get help in the hospital. They'll get help from the maternal child health nurse. Um, by far the most common reason for call house is actually oversupply and breast refusal, which is so interesting. Wow. I would have never predicted that. And when I do my taxes and go through the invoices, it's literally oversupply, 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 breast refusal, breast refusal, breast refusal, just over and over wow. again.
0: And do those things go, can those things go hand in hand? How does that actually work?
1: So, I mean, there are a million reasons why a Mm. baby might refuse the breast and fuss at the breast and pop on and off and, you know, refuse to go on and cry or do a short feed and pull off all of those things are usual behaviors. But by far the most common reason for that is an oversupply or a flow that is so fast that it's very overwhelming for the baby choking Mm -hmm. a lot or guzzling or when they pull off there's an actual spray of milk continuing after them that kind of thing they feel very overwhelmed and threatened at the breast and you know babies are just survival and instinct led they have no actual Mm -hmm. thoughts um so it's if something threatens their survival it's all very dramatic but if they're at the breast and there's a Mm -hmm. spray that's going to make them drown or feel like they can't breathe Mm -hmm. they're going to stop wanting to go there and have that experience so even though they they may not be aware that it's because of the fast flow, and the mum will be like, "No, he loves the letdown. It's you know, he mm. loves the fast bit, and then he goes nuts." Mm. It's actually the association with the breast just becomes negative over.
0: Yeah, and it's funny that obviously a lack of supply is something that women who want to breastfeed or parents that want to breastfeed are so nervous about. So it's actually really yes. interesting that the number one challenge is the opposite of that, which people normally exactly. think, "Oh my god, I've got so much milk, it's great," but sometimes yes, that can be a challenge too. That's why I I was shocked. Mm. Um
1: the uh, the other thing i get called a lot about is sort of week around the week 2 to 4 mark is when women are really stuck in the triple feeding trap cycle mm. where because it's really common Obviously, we weigh the baby on the postnatal ward before they leave. So, if they've lost grade in the 10%, they'll be asked to stay, put on a feeding plan, weigh frequently, pumping, topping up, all of that begins. Mm. And the hospitals um, just sort of randomly and haphazardly put every woman on a triple feeding plan. So, which means go do the breastfeed. After every breastfeed, you're going to pump, you're going to top up after every breastfeed, mm-hmm. which means the woman is doing three things eight times a day to get one baby fed. Yeah, right. So, it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm. Um, it's too much really that it's not sustainable long-term for any human being. I don't believe mm. And it's such a massive factor in stopping to breastfeed because you just can't sustain such behavior long-term. Nobody can.
0: I mean, it takes them so long to breastfeed as a newborn as it is, let alone exactly, then. Exactly. And, they're sleepy. and, and the then bottle. because
1: you've just, by the time you finish the breastfeed and burp and change and settle, and then mm-hmm. you sit down to pump, there's 40 minutes till your next feed. So you've literally mm-hmm. just emptied the breast. Then the baby comes. There's not much in there. They have a little suckle, fall asleep it perpetuates the cycle of needing to pump and top them up. If we could just teach the baby to drink all the milk from the breast, Mm. we wouldn't have that. But, you know, lots of babies are not able to physically drink fully from the breast initially. Mm. So there is a week or two of that triple feeding, which is very necessary. But I think it's just important to not warn women, but to educate women and make them aware that this is not forever. I'm putting Mm. you on this plan for the next week, and we're going to reassess and try and phase it out as soon as possible. But women are sort of flicked out of hospital without that, adjustment information Mm. so I once had a woman at nine weeks was still doing that I I could have cried for her and after all that she had the issue was that she had too much milk oh wow so I'm just like why are we breastfeeding pumping and topping Mm. up a baby when your issue is oversupply like it made no sense and she knew it made no sense but nobody ever helped her stop
0: yeah and so does that only increase the supply if you're pumping I should know this by now as a mother yes. but I assume that only increases the supply right
1: it does and it also just is totally mismatched and unnatural mm. to what if we would just feed the baby and they would learn mm. how to just drink from the breast we wouldn't need all of that peripheral jobs that make people's mm. lives hell so really there's a lot of calls for that and and phasing out the triple feeding. So mm-hmm. you can't just take a baby who's being topped up every feed and a mum who's pumping eight times a day and just be like, okay, stop pumping, stop topping up. The baby will be mm-hmm. hungry and your supply will tank. Mm-hmm. It has to be a slow process of phasing out the pumping and phasing out the bottle top-ups. And we do that together and make a plan that would be so individual based on how the baby sucks, what they're capable of and how much milk the mum has. And we try and match that up and make a realistic plan. Like I never want to see a mum doing that for more than a week or two. It's actual hell. There has to be a better way to feed a baby long-term. Mm. Um, and once I posted about it on my Instagram and there was literally a flurry, an influx of women being like, yep, that's why I stopped breastfeeding. I did that for six weeks. I did it for four weeks. It broke me. I couldn't do it. It ruined my soul. Like it's just, it's a torturous way to do things. And it's necessary for babies who are jaundiced or preemie or have, you know, low muscle tone or they're a, they're a, or just a sleepy or mm. whatever it is. But it should always be started with the vision of getting rid of it as soon as possible mm, and teaching the baby so to drink some the rest.
0: It's actually yeah. incredible. I could have never known before becoming a mum, the myriad of challenges women face breastfeeding. But as I said to you at the top of the show, of all the call outs I've made on Instagram to get questions for my guests, this is the most I've had. And there are actually heaps of double ups, but I've reduced the list to 10 questions. So the first one is how does weaning actually work? Okay, so the breast, everybody knows supply-demand. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, whatever whatever, well, it's it really should be demand supply. <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. you demand mm-hmm. of the breast, that's what it will supply, talking mm-hmm. about normal functioning glandular tissue. So weaning is very simple. Um, if you stop emptying the breast slowly over time, it will gradually stop making that milk. The brain literally mm-hmm. gets a message. There's something called FIL, which is a hormone that inhibits lactation. When the breasts feel very full, it alerts the brain and says, you know, it's so full, she obviously doesn't need it, we'll stop making milk. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also the element of if you empty them less frequently, they're going to fill up less and less. And then over time the supply sort of just diminishes enough that you don't actually need to pump it all anymore.
0: So if you were, for example, deciding to stop breastfeeding in two months, and up until that point, you're feeding fairly regularly. How does weaning look in that sort of period of time? So it's a good question. Um, it really depends where in the
1: breastfeeding journey she's at. Mm. So if the mum is 12 months, if the baby's 14 months old and the baby's still, you know, on the boob a lot, it will still be less of an intense process to wean then than it would be at, for example.
0: Oh, interesting. Even though, even if-
1: even though the mum might feel like the baby's on the boob all the time. Mm, that's really um, interesting. But so it depends where she's at, Um, but Mm -hmm. it also very much depends on her overall supply, um, on her storage capacity. Like does she have a massive capacity and she's feeding only five times Mm -hmm. or does she have a small capacity and is feeding 12 to 14 times a day? So it depends, but generally the way most people would do a gentle weaning, we call it, is just dropping one feed per day and replacing it with a bottle and doing that sort of one every week or one every four to five days. So let's okay. say you're doing six feeds in 24 hours. You're going to drop to five and replace one feed with a bottle. After four mm-hmm. or five days, you're going to place the second feed with the bottle. And you never really get down to zero because by the time you're up to you know one or two breastfeeds, you it's pretty much bottles and you just do it if you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So it, it the healthier way to do it is to, as in when I say healthier, I mean on the breast like mastitis mm-hmm. and engorgement and pain wise, is to do it slow and gentle. Mm-hmm. But there are obviously circumstances where a woman needs to abruptly stop breastfeeding. So then you would wean by um, if she has to go cold turkey for whatever reason, you just express for comfort, which means when you feel full and sore, you're going to hop on the pump, but not anymore ever again with the vision of draining the breast just to take mm. the time. So you take, when as soon as you feel and you're like, oh, that feels so much better, then you stop. That might be five minutes, it might be 10, whatever it is. And you do that only as needed, as long as you need for, and then it will mm. slowly, slowly dissipate.
0: This one's more of a comment, but it's a really interesting one to note because I know you've talked a lot about breastfeeding rights at the workplace. So this person says work policies actually supporting it. And I'd love for you to talk about what are the rights of breastfeeding parents in the workplace?
1: Okay. So it's a good question. I Before I looked into it, I had no idea that there even were official Mm. legislations to support this. Like you said earlier, like I didn't have a clue. Mm. I would have had no idea. um, The Sex Discrimination Act was published in 1984, and originally it was just a very generic legislation around not discriminating against anyone, male or female, for their sex. And obviously included in that, and and culture and things like marriage and all other kinds of status, Um, and their sex was one of those statuses that you can't discriminate. But then in 2011, where breastfeeding sort of took m- more of a forefront, mm. it was amended to specifically include breastfeeding as its own discrimination act, which means, but even still, if you look at it, it's very non-specific and a bit generic. Basically, the legislation is that the employer is obligated to offer reasonable circumstances <laughs> for breastfeeding and pumping, and the employee is... If the employee finds that, finds the situation unreasonable, you know, then the employer is obligated to make them reasonable. That's the kind of language that's used. So obviously the word reasonable and unreasonable is open to interpretation. It's very Mm. non-specific, but there, there currently is no legal obligation to pay a woman for her breastfeeding break. Um, so there's no paid leave but she's entitled to have a break for it and obviously as all women know we slam it into our lunch break. see you know dangling a messy salad on me while you try and sit next to a plug on the floor and pump we just slam it together because you're not getting paid leave for it and nobody really wants you taking a second break today in addition to your lunch let's Mm. be honest and like I know as a midwife I was very lazy about pumping at work which
0: is actually funny because that's the topic of um <laughs> it's what you do for and it's but, what you do as a job to help others <laughs> also I went back
1: to work when the kids were almost one so it was like sure. I wasn't that precious about my mm. supply and yeah. the breastfeeding, and I, I mm. didn't go back full time so it wasn't that you know wasn't that important mm. younger babies is obviously much more which we'll talk about is much more specific but going back mm. to the woman's rights in the workplace I just feel like women in Australia should know that they have rights mm. and they should be aware that these rights exist. But I always think like if a woman is having to go research the discrimination act and print it out and hand it to her boss as, a, as proof and documentation that she's entitled to pump, there's a much bigger problem there. Do you know mm. what I mean? I want much women to know that, the, that there's a, her, her boss is obviously a, you know what, if he's, mm. if he's, not letting her on account if it's the right thing to do and mm. it's illegal not to, if he's mm. going to make her beg and grovel and print out the legislation and document it and give him the paperwork, mm. there's a much bigger problem at play mm. in the workplace, if that makes sense. Mm. So I want women to know that the legislation exists and that the laws are out there, but having to really research it and know the specific ins and outs is that's a, It's not a great thing. It means that your workplace is not being very supportive and they're putting you in a place where you have to prove that you have the right to breastfeed. That's mm, not on, which is
0: hard enough as sense. it is because exactly, well, and it doesn't matter if you're guilty or bad for yes. walking off to to pump. And it doesn't matter if it's
1: a woman or a man that your boss is male or female. they the, the bullying or the you know the feeling of pressure or guilt can come from either. Mm. It's more women should know that the rights exist. It is illegal to discriminate against a woman for her breastfeeding needs. Um, But you know the specifics. You shouldn't ever need to call on them.
0: Mm. It should just be
1: knowing that
0: you are. Yes, you should know that every
1: woman and every employer should know that Mm. every woman has the right to breastfeed or pump as needed Mm. to continue her breastfeeding in the context of her work. Mm. Beyond that, if he's going to make it so difficult for her that she needs to actually print it off
0: and show it to him or her,
1: Mm. that's a problem.
0: That is a huge problem in and of itself. Okay, that's great to know. As I said to before we started recording, I literally wouldn't have known there's a framework. So if someone was in that position, which I hope no breastfeeding person is ever in, it is great to know that yes. there are rights. The next question here is what to pack to pump at work or any hacks to make pumping at work easier? I would
1: definitely say if you can get a battery-operated one because half the challenge of pumping at work is finding an outlet in a normal place to sit mm. and having to sit, you know, the 70 centimetres that your cord goes. Cross leg on the floor, reaching for that outlet, like connected to a wall, a mm. power point. So if you have a battery operated one, that would help. um And then you can literally find anywhere to do it. I remember sitting in the middle of a lecture once, literally contorted. The chairs were fixed and they didn't move off the floor like they were nailed in. So I had to literally sit in this contorted lizard position to plug the pump in and pump on the floor. Ugh. If it was battery operated, I could have sat like a normal person. On it. Mm yeah um, the other thing is, I guess bring food that is easy to eat with one hand, because the fact is even though we have rights to pump and breastfeed or pump at work, you very much end up doing it in your meal breaks. Mm. Um, so bring food that's easy. you know you don't want to have a complex shredded salad dangling when you need dressing everywhere when you're using mm. your hands to pump.
0: Yeah, you already you don't might even spill want to try milk to eat on your shirt, let alone food exactly. on your shirt too.
1: <laughs> so like you don't want to be trying to shovel that in while you're mm. using the pump. So bring, you know, sandwiches, granola bars, things mm. that are easy to eat with one hand. And I guess space your pumps. Find the the least amount of time you can pump at work to keep mm-hmm. your supply viable and don't put pressure on yourself to do more than that for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Like if you are working six hours, you should just pump once. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Nothing's going to happen.
0: Okay. That's great. And does hydration play a big part in that? I know it plays a big part in breastfeeding. Is that something that you need to be really conscious of when you're going back to work, making sure you're having enough water?
1: Yeah. I mean, that remains for the duration of breastfeeding. Mm. More so, like once your milk is really, really established, unless you fast and are severely hydrated, it's not going to have a massive impact. And that's why people see when they get COVID, when they have gastro, those severe acute dehydration episodes definitely impact supply. But day to day, Mm. Once it's established, your body's, it stills all your water. So you'll just end up thirsty, basically.
0: Mm. (laughs) Your (laughs) Your baby will be fine fine and then your breast will be fine. But,
1: you know, dehydration at the best of times is always a risk faster for Mm. mastitis. And if you're doing that coupled with your sort of changed breastfeeding patterns and pumping, Mm. it's not a great
0: idea. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that hydration played a part in mastitis. Yes.
1: So one of the biggest Risk factors for mastitis is dehydration. In fact, mm. I just bumped into a mum, one of the women i client at the supermarket today. Mm. And she was like, I had gastro. It was horrendous. Her milk supply, you know, really plummeted, whatever. Her baby's quite new. And then she's like, mm. and then I've got mastitis. Uh, I know. Like, that's what happens next from the yeah. dehydration. It's so common.
0: How common is mastitis? I don't know if you have exact figures, but Ooh, is it something you I see really don't. often? I do see
1: it a lot, yes. Um, but then again, I always think I see the ones that have problems, like mm, the woman that doesn't have mastitis, yeah, so is not got calling the pool me. Of,
0: yeah, sure. Sure.
1: Um, my my percentage is a bit skewed in you know, of mm. my own clients, but um, it's quite common. Weirdly, women are petrified of mastitis when they wean, but that's the least common time I see it. Like oh, most women wean without getting mastitis. I know everybody's scared of it, but weaning mastitis is not so common. In fact, actually, of the hundreds of women I've seen, I think there's actually only one woman I know who got mastitis from weaning. Oh,
0: wow. So is it more the early days? It's the early days. It's often
1: when the woman's really run down within herself. It's not so much related. Like, I mean, I know women who are the sloppiest breastfeeders. Like I was out to lunch once and there was a mum there and she was giving her baby a bottle of formula and we had babies the exact same time, two days apart, and I was like fussing with the baby at the boob and, you know, Speed and all of that and she's like nah i'm gonna do a bottle now i can't be stuck when i get her an <laughs> breastfeed in four hours and i was like oh. this was like four children ago and i was like what do you mean your boobs yeah. are gonna explode you're gonna get a status. i was this is before i was an lc and i was just like mm. she never got my status once she's got five kids she's the sloppiest feeder she just haphazardly breastfeeds here and there skips bottles all the time never it's got it and other people it. are." So so vigilant and meticulous mm. and perfect, and they get it four times. So mm. I think it's kind of like perineal tears and birth. It's like mm. Bit such of a, a random connection. But as a midwife, it's like some women are just prone to it and some are not.
0: Mm. Okay, that's really interesting. I would never have guessed that um, mastitis is rare from weaning because that's something that will come up for me in the next sort of four yes.
1: to six months. I wouldn't say it's rare, but it's no, it's not as common as women fear. Mm. It's like every. Every time I get a question about weaning, the end of the question is how do I wean so that I don't get mastitis? Mm. So my answer is always you won't get mastitis, but I'll talk to you about weaning, like just don't worry about it. If you wean gently over time, you're not going to get mastitis. And if you do, it's cuz you're prone to it anyways.
0: Mm. And you probably okay. had
1: it before in your journey.
0: That's really good to know. So the next question we have here is, I feed on demand when not working. How often do I need to pump when I'm at work? I guess this would be circumstantial for different ages, but maybe if you could give us some broad ideas.
1: So how often do I need to pump when I'm at work? I would probably say the key to pumping at work and keeping supply is emptying the breast regularly. But if you are doing a six or eight-hour workday, you don't need to pump every two hours, even if that's as often as you would have fed at home. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, because that is not reasonable or realistic in a workplace. Mm-hmm. You know? So in answer to her question, how much should she pump at work? I would say try and pump the least amount of like the least sort of disruptive to your work date that still maintains your supplies. Like, for example, I spoke to a doctor recently who was going back. Obviously, her days are long and her baby was quite young and she was still breastfeeding weekends, morning and night, but she was away from the baby five days a week. We worked out a way that she can capitalize on her feed times that she's with the baby so that she only pumps twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be, for example, let's say you start your day at nine and you finish at five. You don't have to pump at 11 and three. If it's not feasible for you to take two breaks for half an hour, you can pump at one for 25 minutes and then you have four hours on either end and it's equal mm. sort of thing.
0: Sort and of So me. you pump just all so, pump or feed wait just before you leave. And just after you get exactly. Home.
1: Before you leave, when you get home, and once in the middle. That would be mm. enough for an eight-hour day. Again, it depends on the baby. If the baby's, you know, seven weeks old, obviously you need to pump. But if the baby's mm. 10 months old, that's plenty. Mm. So pumping at work when you feed on demand at home is really a matter of do what's reasonable and manageable for you. Mm. Because if you make it manageable, you're more likely to continue it for longer. If you put so much pressure on yourself to pump as much as you physically can at work, and you're making everybody crazy, you're going to stop because it's not working out. You would have been better off to sacrifice one bottle a day mm-hmm. and continue pumping for six months. That's such in a way that advice. was manageable.
0: Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't think many is to continue, mothers would think about that either because we just think we want to do what's best and keep the supply exactly. up. But it's like, well, no, we actually need to think about what's sustainable and what's actually going to work for you. Yes, if you if
1: your if your only goal is always what's the best. Possible physical, most ideal situation. Mm. And that's your only vision of the way you can do things. That's when women end up throwing the towel in and being like, I Mm. can't do this. Whereas you might be like, okay, so I'll have a little bit less supply on those days, but I'm going to pump once on the three days I work. And it's going to be fine. Make it, the key is make it manageable so that you can mm-hmm. continue for longer. If you overwhelm yourself for the sake of doing the best possible thing, you're going to cut it short, I can guarantee you, because it's not going to be work. That's such great and advice. And the other thing I like to explain to women is I'm obviously being a nurse, such a science mathematics person, and I always mm-hmm. have to like, I always have mm-hmm. to have stats. So let's just say your 10 month old baby goes back to work, or you, let's say your eight month old baby you go back to work your baby's
0: eight months old. <laughs> and you're it doing,
1: let's say you're doing five feeds a day at eight months. It's quite a bit, but let's just say you do, mm-hmm. you know, one overnight and four during the day. So five mm-hmm. feeds a day, there are seven days in a week, you're doing 35 feeds a week, Right? Let's say you're going back to work three full days a week, so you're missing two feeds each of those three days. If you think mm-hmm. about it, you've missed six feeds in the week mm-hmm. and you're still breastfeeding 29 feeds. Mm-hmm. So three full days to the woman sounds like a lot but if you calculate your breastfeeds over the week and look what you're missing, it's not much. It's six mm-hmm. bottles and 29 breastfeeds. And let's say you had a 10 month old who only feeds four times a day and you're going back to work four days a week. So your baby's going to miss one to two of those breastfeeds on four days. So let's say mm. four to eight of the breastfeeds they're going to miss of the 28 breastfeeds you do a week. Mm. That's a really mostly way going back to that doctor where we figured it out, she was actually not missing that many breastfeeds, even though she was working full time, if that makes sense. She was going to feed before she left, feed as soon as she gets home, feed twice overnight. She was missing three feeds over four days, so 12 Mm. feeds on the whole week. Not that bad. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, stressful, but
0: it's, yeah, just still say, yeah, she sounds like a busy woman.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. Really amazing. And I actually don't know how it worked out for them because obviously the therapeutic relationship, I haven't spoken to her again since. Mm. And I don't know where it ended up, but she sounded pretty confident of how she wanted to do things. So I guess, again, just looking at things with the right perspective helps mm. you not feel overwhelmed because, and I think especially mums who are on a very scheduled regulated feeding feed sleep rhythm that go back to work. They can very much predict what time the baby has the bottle, how many times they need to eat, and they can calculate that and they feel much more safe with that knowledge. Mm. But mums who feed to sleep and demand feed, which is, to be honest, lots of mums out there and Mm. most of us, um, Mm. we can't predict exactly how many bottles or how they're going to fall asleep without the boob, and it feels much, much more overwhelming. So Mm. I can understand that that panic and fear of like how if, you know, I feed him, he's on the boob all day at home, how am I going to, pump at work. Just pump once or twice. Big pumps. it'll. The trick is just to keep emptying
0: the breast regularly. The mm. supply will maintain it. I love it. I'm getting a great message from you, which is actually that mothers need to think about themselves and how it's going to work for them in order to give their best to the baby, as opposed to just worrying about, you know, having enough for the baby, having enough for the baby. If you look after yourself and think about it more pragmatically. Yes. And then what happens is when you just worry about the baby getting the most possible
1: physical milk out of you, it becomes so overwhelming that you stop altogether. And that's really not what you wanted.
0: That's great advice. So if someone is looking to return to work, when should they start storing milk and the best times to pump to do so? So this person, I assume, is getting ready for that return to work but haven't yet returned? Good question.
1: I think probably, well, I mean, everybody knows the best time to pump is in the morning because you're Mm. the fullest. Even if your baby doesn't sleep through the night, prolactin surges in the early hours of the morning. So the breasts are fullest in the morning. So um, after the first feed of the day, let's say wait 15 minutes or something, 20 minutes, and then hop on the pump for 15 minutes. Whatever you get out, you do that a few times a week, you'll accumulate enough for a feed. Mm. So that's the best time um, value-wise. But another way you could do it is if your baby does sleep through the night or if you know that, let's say you put them down at 7 p.m. and they don't wake again till 2, so they're not sleeping through, but you've got a good seven, eight-hour stretch. Mm. Before the mum goes to bed, she can shower, hop on the pump as a matter of routine every night, pump out that feed. Even though the baby's sleeping, that will Mm -hmm. give her an extra, you know, 80, 100 mils or something, whatever she gets. If you do that every night, you just add it into your repertoire um, that takes so much pressure off because you only need to pump once during the day, then, even if the baby has two. So, the best value for your efforts is up in the morning to pump mm-hmm. after morning feeds. Um, maybe, like, you know, every second day you might do it and could accumulate small stashes in the freezer. And as an extra hot little tip, if mums are struggling to keep up, then you could add in a nighttime pump, and that only works for babies who are predictably sleeping through or sleeping a good stretch. You don't know when your baby's going to wake up. pump.
0: Is that because when your supply is lower at nighttime, if your baby did wake, you potentially pump the milk out that you can.
1: Yeah, like let's say you're sitting on the pump. Let's say you showered at ten o'clock and you get on the pump and you just pump out one hundred and twenty mils, mm. and at ten twenty your baby wakes up. Mm they're going to be really cranky when they get to the Mm. breast and it's literally just been pumped. And I mean, the breasts are never empty, obviously, but you Mm. literally just took its whole feet out. Mm. So there'll be something, but they're going to be cranky. It's a, it's just annoying. You probably Mm. end up giving them that bottle you just pumped. So if your baby really reliably sleeps through, you could pump during that big first stretch, just as an extra hot little tip and otherwise in the
0: morning. Okay, and what is breast milk storage? How long can you store it in the freezer versus in the fridge?
1: Um, so the fridge, officially it's 72 hours, but it's really 48 to 72. So I always say 48 because you don't know how cold people's fridges are. Mm-hmm. Um, 48 hours in the fridge and in the freezer, a couple months. So, you know, if you're really going back to back, like pumping that day for tomorrow, you may not need to freeze
0: So the next question is a really interesting one because I'm a bit worried that this might happen to me. We will see when I do go back to it. Oh, the bottle refusal. Yes. So what do you do if after so much trial and error, baby still refuses the bottle and your return to work date is fast approaching? I feel stressed for that mum, first Mm. of all. I've
1: been there and done that. So my um, third, well, the first two I wasn't at work. Still studying then, but my third, I went back to work when she was 11 months old. So I put her in child care at 10 months to acclimatize us all before I actually had to commit to work. And she flat out would not touch a bottle. <laughs> I put <laughs> breast milk, I put formula, I put cow's milk, I put water, would not touch it, and not mm. a sippy cup either. So I actually physically had no choice. She just didn't have breastfeeds on those days. Um, But in that case, she was closer to, and I wasn't thrilled about it, but on those days she was closer to one. So it was like Mm. she was only having sort of three three feeds a day anyways, morning, night, and maybe one in the middle. So I used to, she just didn't have it. She just Mm. went to childcare with, you know, yogurt and food and drank from water from a cup. Um, But that is in terms of an older baby who you can get away with, you know, meal replacement in a bottle. Um, If, a younger baby is flat out refusing a bottle, it's really hard, but you're going to have to find a way to get the baby to take a bottle. <laughs> Basically, like it depends on the age. Mm. Um, and it also depends how many days a week you're working. So like if if your baby's eight months old or seven months and they still really rely on their milk, they're not that good with solids yet, but you're only working two days a week. If they have two days of mm, not such great milk days, the other five are full milk, it's, mm. Your baby will be fine.
0: Mm. So what if I came to you at six months and I was going back to work four days a week, what would be the strategies you'd be trying?
1: Yeah. That, that
0: baby is going to
1: need to take a bottle. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Strategies. So, I mean, I have a long post about this on my Instagram page, but Mm -hmm. about getting babies to take a bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the first thing is so most babies, when they're hungry, they're actually, they're hangry and they just go again into fight or flight mode and shut down. And mm. that's, they refuse the bottle because oh, babies are so survival led. They don't know that the bottle is going to give them milk. They feel mm. it and they just, they won't even take a suck. So that's how are they really supposed to learn that they're they love
0: threatened milk. Or something.
1: They just literally fight or flight. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and then, you know, I know my mom always used to say, if they're starving, they'll take it. But she didn't. It doesn't matter how starving she was. She refused to touch it. Um, so I didn't really bother with her cause she was older, but with a younger baby, like a six month old, they need milk. I would say probably try after a breastfeed, like start before work, like a good month before you have to go back to work, do the breastfeed. The baby's not hungry. They're happy, cooing, playing. And then when they're playing and relaxed, you try after a feed with a bottle with, you know, 10 or 20 meals, just a tiny little top up to get them used mm-hmm. to and familiar with the fact that they can suck a teat and it will give them milk. So practice, practice, practice hundreds of times after feeds when they're calm and fed and not angry and fight or flight mode. Mm. Um, after, mm. even if they take a little bit, you know, if they actually suck on the teat and suck, swallow a few times, you do that again the next feed. And again, the next feed, they will learn. Mm-hmm. Um, if you find a bottle that they once took a few sucks on, stick with it. Don't try a thousand different bottles. You're just going to confuse them and waste all your money. Mm -hmm. um also you know shoving a teat in a baby's mouth horizontally and trying to like close their mouth shutting force them to take it they're gonna
0: gag and fight you (laughs) it's very tempting to do that it's just like take Mm. it that would be pretty stressful now that I think about it if someone tried to do that to me (laughs) yeah so you're not gonna eat it Mm.
1: so Mm -hmm. it's always better to you know put the baby let's say lying diagonal at a bouncer or a car seat like that sort of angle um Mm. and bring the bottle up from their chin obviously we stimulate the suck reflex with any baby by touching the upper palate. Mm-hmm. It's not the tongue actually. So when the t- the upper palate is tickled or touched sensation, the suck reflex is stimulated. So the same with the teeth. angle the teeth upwards, try and tickle the top of their palate. You'll see their tongue start to work and mm-hmm. just see if you can accidentally get them to suck. You might try when they're sleepy at night because when they're sleepy, they're less likely to protest because they're not so aware of their surroundings and they just sort of go back to instincts. Yeah, basically look at my Instagram post. Everything's Mm -hmm. on there.
0: Great. Well, I'll link that in the show notes so that people can find that. Is this a myth or is it a bit of a fact or maybe not so much a fact, but something you've seen? Do you think that babies refuse bottles from their breastfeeding mother more than other people or is that just a bit of a myth?
1: Total myth. Yes, they do smell you Mm. and they will want the breast. But I feel like smelling you and knowing you're there makes them feel safe, if anything, mm. and comforted. If you have a stranger putting a strange thing in a baby's mouth, why on earth would they accept that? Like, That's such a good that, point. It's scary for them. Mm. So if anything, I think the mother can, is always the best place to get the baby to do something. It's like getting the baby to sleep. You know, when people come, you know, your auntie Helen comes and says, Oh, let me rock her. She's crying. I'll get him to sleep. And four minutes later, you're like, just give me her. Cause mm. the mom just mm. knows how to do it. The baby smells. Yes. She smells you, mm. but that brings them comfort. If anything, mm. it doesn't, the smell of their mother and the smell of the milk doesn't automatically make them hungry. Yeah. That's such an interesting point. It gives them comfort, safety, familiarity, all of that. So I, I, mm. I I think that is very much a myth and I think if anything the mum is most likely to be successful giving the bottle because the baby will trust her.
0: That's really really interesting I've never thought of it that way but it actually makes so much sense now that you say that. So the next question is I cannot get ahead with my pumping. I can pump enough for the next day of daycare while he is at daycare and I am pumping at work but when he's with me it's impossible. So any tips for that person? Um, Again, I feel a bit stressed for her because I know that feeling
1: of like, I mean, I did it with the twins where every precious milk that came out, I had to divide in half. Like, oh, if I got 60, I can't even imagine that 30, with twins. It was devastating. Anyways, um, advice for her would be I think the same as what we did a couple questions ago about sneaking in that extra pump at night before you go to bed. So if your baby reliably does a stretch, definitely add that in. Even if you get a small amount because supply is lowest then, like let's say you get 50 or 60 mils. If you do that seven days a week, mm. you've got an extra 400 mils there. Mm. And that's enough for four bottles. Mm. Um, the other thing is that I wanted to touch on, which I forgot to mention earlier, is that child cares will often pressure the mums into sending gallon loads of milk mm. into childcare. care. You can give the baby less in each bottle to take some pressure off you. So if your baby's a bit older and they, you know, the formula can says they need 180 every feed, they do not need 180 every feed. If your baby has 80 or 90 mils for their bottle, absolutely fine on the childcare days. So I know, and I've seen it happen many times where childcare, um, it's hard when you've got a whole room full of cranky babies who all need to go to sleep. You just want to give them milk and comfort them and make them, you know, quiet and happy mm. and they like to give the baby bottles. It makes them quiet, basically. Um, but that puts the mums under so much pressure. If you take 350 mils for that one day and they're like, oh, he finished it by 2 p.m. when we had no milk left, the mum's mm. going to cry inside. Mm. But really, there's no reason for the educators to be giving them 150 mils in a bottle. They'll be okay with 100 or 120. Like they just want a bottle and some milk. Mm. You can supplement that space in their tummy with. Some applesauce or some solids, and and this is just on the childcare days. At home, you can feed mm. them as much as you want. But so basically, bas- what I wanted to say is really that child cares often ask for a lot of milk and make the mum feel like she has to provide huge volumes of milk that most people cannot physically pump. It's not realistic. You can give the baby less in each bottle, so they still have three bottles a day, but they're ninety mils, not one fifty each. That's the same. That's two seventy instead of four fifty. Mm, that's a huge for difference. Example. Massive. Take some pressure off, add in that nighttime pump. Um, and also the end of the line, I guess, is if you have to take some pressure off yourself by adding one formula bottle in at childcare, nothing is going to happen. Mm. It's okay. And if that and again, just have the perspective of what is your goal? If your goal is to breastfeed for, you know, two years, if you're gonna suffocate yourself with such undoable pressure. So that for the sake of them, never having a bottle, it is really hard Mm. to continue breastfeeding and pumping when you're at work. It is so hard. There is so much stress, pressure, baby sick, you're sick, exhaustion Mm. out of your comfort zone, all of the time limitations. If you're going to put so much pressure on yourself, probably you're going to end up stopping altogether, which will be a lot Mm. more catastrophic and devastating to you than doing one formula bottle a day which would enable you, it takes so much pressure off that it will enable mm. you to continue breastfeeding for two years, which is what you wanted.
0: And it's already such a big day and a big adjustment, like you're adjusting to returning to work, which is huge in and of itself. So then you're putting on the pressure yeah. of feeding on top of that. So I just, is.
1: yes, again, it goes back to basics. Like I'm always team mum. And I think if your goal is to continue breastfeeding, find a way to continue breast. Mm. And if that means you're incorporating one bottle a day, nothing is going to happen to anyone. Not that I'm sitting here as an IBCLC promoting formula. I'm not. I'm promoting continued breastfeeding. Mm. And if the way for you to achieve that goal is by, and you can't physically keep up with the breastfeeding and with the pumping volumes for childcare, and, and you're either going to have to stop or find an arrangement, why mm. continue and find an arrangement that enables you to continue? Mm. And that might be one formula bottle a day. And if you think about it, four days of childcare, it's four bottles a day. Again, going back to your 35 breastfeeds a week, you have 31 breast milk and four formulas, not the biggest deal. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm a big talker. I did not give my kids formula the first three, but it wasn't on my radar and I just didn't mm. need to. Um, and I know that if I never had, I would struggle to make that call and be like, okay, hey, I'll just buy a can of formula." Like, so I'm a bit of a big talker and I can understand that pressure of not wanting to do that because you never have. And it's a bit disappointing when you know that your friend down the road can pump 700 meals with ease. But like Mm. I was never a massive food pumper. And if I was in that situation, I might have to include a bottle of formula, Jay, because I wouldn't want to stop breastfeeding.
0: It's a really interesting one. It's hard to, it's funny, like I always try and treat myself in everything to do with mothering, but especially with breastfeeding, the way I would treat my friend, which is forgive yourself if you have to do one formula bottle away, forgive yourself. But we ran into something, my husband and I, where I was running low in my breast milk stored supply in the freezer and he's like oh would you consider adding formula say we need a babysitter for example and we have to give ray our son a bottle that night do you want to just do formulas in those instances if we're going out and i was like stubborn no and finally now i'm like if i'm going out if we have something on i'm not going to kill myself pupping. i'm just going to give him a formula on those times and i do feel so much more relaxed now knowing that i've freed myself of that guilt
1: yeah. So that is a really important step. And especially like if a mum has no choice mm. and you feel trapped mm. by your breastfeeding, like let's say she's at work and she's pumping for childcare and she physically cannot pump the amount that the childcare is asking her for. It's like either she's going to stop or she can start doing one bottle a day, which will enable her to continue for two years. Mm. So it's like, where are your goals at and yeah. what do you feel is the le- lesser of two eagles?
0: It's such an not interesting point. Evil, it's, but- no, but it's such an interesting point. Basically, it's like look at the bigger picture of what you're wanting to do and then yes. break it down from there rather than being like, I'm trying to do everything. How am I going to be able to get there? Yeah, because what you're essentially wanting to do is breastfeed. So how are you? Yes, if you
1: want to continue, find a way to continue, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not managing to pump the amounts you need and you're just like, I can't do this anymore, just do one bottle of formula. You will do the other seven breastfeeds a day, or whatever it is, mm. and that will enable you to continue. That's obviously the end of the line, but otherwise, she can start getting if the if the form if the childcare is really putting pressure on for three bottles a day, try and reduce the volume in each bottle to make your overall requirement lower. Mm-hmm. Um, also, sneak in that sneaky pump every night before bed. But yeah, I really feel for that mum because the pressure is real, and trying to pump mm. when you're also exclusively breastfeeding is a bit full
0: yeah and the pressure's just coming from everywhere all from angles. everywhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we do have one more question and that is we feed to sleep which i won't be able to do during the day when my baby starts daycare at 15 months any suggestions on how to wean him during the day
1: good question i would probably not bother weaning him during the day because you'll be surprised how he will just fall asleep at child care he just will um especially at 15 months they mm. the childcare educators are so amazing they sit with the babies and pat and shush and the soft music and it's very social sleeping all the kids are lying on those little mattresses going to sleep and I'm telling you like I've done it with five kids in childcare. every single time a child goes I'm like they're not gonna sleep. there is no mm. way they're going to sleep at creche I, they're gonna come home ready especially the 10 month old she never slept anywhere outside of her cot in our house or in my bed and it's like I knew there was no way. The same one that didn't take a bottle. There was no way she was. <laughs> Guess what? She slept, she slept every single day beautifully. They just sleep. I don't know why. They just do. So the educators pat them and they shush them and they get them to sleep and they fall asleep because all the everyone else is asleep and the room's dark and they're exhausted. Mm. Um so I think there's two parts to her question. One is about how to phase out feeding to sleep at home. She doesn't really have to if she doesn't want to, if it's working for mm. her. And how will the baby fall asleep without the boob at creche? He will. He just hmm. will. And then you can continue to do whatever you want at home. Um, and then the childcare days, he, he will actually be fine and he will fall asleep.
0: I love that. A lot of the time I think it is just hearing that reassurance from someone else, you know.
1: Yeah. I, I still remember the text. I got on the app the photo of the of my daughter asleep there and I was staring, I screenshot it and sent it to my husband, I'm like, can you believe this? Like <laughs> she's fast asleep. I was actually a little bit offended. Like, she doesn't mm. need me to fall asleep. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit like lump in throat that she's able to sleep because that was her first time ever being sleeping outside of the house. But mm. um, they just do, they it. just do it. They do Amazing. it. Amazing.
0: Sterner, thanks so much for that. Your Instagram is full of extra information. If people want to find it, where do they go?
1: to melbourne lactation is my handle on instagram um there's i try to just put up posts that are really informative easy to read and will reassure you that what you're doing is probably fine um and also i have a website there's not much on there but it's (laughs) melbourne lactation.com on there is press palms there's a link to my instagram on there where they can find all the articles um I post a lot of stories about what women's personal struggles are and what we did to fix them. I've been a bit slight.
0: Awesome. Great. And do you also offer your services as a lactation consultant, both in person in Melbourne and online? Is that correct?
1: Um, yes. Yeah, so I do in-person visits sort of within a half an hour radius mm-hmm. of me. Um, and then virtual consults, I do a lot of phone consults most night of the week. Um, but not all issues can be tackled on phone like if it's sort of latching pain and low supply and triple feeding situation i definitely need to be there in person so in that Mm -hmm. case i would probably just recommend that the woman like if it's too far i'm not interstate or something i would just if you look on the lacan's website um lactation consultants of australia new zealand um Mm -hmm. you can search for lc by postcode so then i would just say put in your postcode and try and find but everyone has a little blurb find someone that's sort of aligns with you and appeals Mm -hmm. and if it's things like breast refusal oversupply gassy baby um, low supply stuff like that we might be able to tackle it
0: so yeah amazing thank you so much for your time today an absolute pleasure it was really fun chatting thanks for listening to ready or not if you liked the show please tell your friends subscribe or write a review You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. In acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, each episode I'll be doing a shout-out to an Indigenous business or charity doing great things. This week it's Mara Collective, an Australian luxury resort wear brand that works closely with Indigenous artists and creatives drawing inspiration from country to present within the context of contemporary fashion. With every product purchased, they give back proceeds to support digital training and education in remote Aboriginal communities. That's it for today. See you next time.